This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. This week, the coronavirus pandemic officially spread to all 50 states in the U.S. As the number of confirmed cases climbs by the thousands, hospital workers are worried that U.S. hospitals might exceed capacity very soon. The fact that that moment may arrive in a matter of weeks, doctors describe it as, like, like genuinely traumatizing. Melanie Evans covers hospitals. I was on the phone last night with an executive who works in hospitals in Seattle. She's an epidemiologist, and she is the executive director of their infection prevention. And she said to me, our emergency rooms are full and our beds are full. We have just days of some of the protective gear that we need, and we can't get more. And we haven't yet seen the peak of patients coming in based on what's happened in other countries. There are few blueprints for how this could play out. But healthcare workers can look at another Western democracy that's a few weeks ahead of the U.S. in this crisis. Italy, which today became the country with the highest death count from the virus. Italy's state-of-the-art hospitals have been no match for the surge of cases that reached their doors. Doctors there have been left to decide who gets life-saving care and who doesn't. Today on the show, as U.S. hospitals scramble to prepare for a surge in coronavirus cases, we look at the warning signs coming from one hospital at the epicenter of Italy's outbreak. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Thursday, March 19th. In this unprecedented crisis, American hospitals, which are usually regarded as some of the best in the world, may not be up to the task at hand. Because over the past 40 years, the capacity of American hospitals has been shifting. Hospitals in recent decades have really been under pressure to operate more efficiently. Insurance companies, Medicare, Medicaid, employers, they're all trying to get hospitals to sort of be more efficient by changing how they're paying them. And hospitals are responding in a couple of ways. Hospitals are spending more of the capital that they have on building outpatient clinics and ambulatory surgery centers and imaging centers all outside of the hospital. And that's in part because there's this other trend that is kind of like siphoning patients out of the hospital, which is just that our technology keeps getting better, the drugs keep getting better, fewer patients have to be in the hospital. When they go, they don't stay as long. And so hospitals have spent less money building, you know, big new bed towers. 
The end result of all of these efforts is that hospitals in the U.S. have fewer beds than they've had in years. By one measure, there are now 2.8 beds available for every 1,000 people. That's not so different from Italy, where there are 3.2 beds per 1,000 people. But it's less than half of the capacity of France and less than a third of Japan. Even if U.S. hospitals were able to boost their bed capacity in the coming days by, say, renting out dorm rooms or buying up motels, there may not be enough hospital equipment to keep up. One of the most acute issues right now that hospitals are having is they don't have enough of the protective equipment they need to keep nurses and doctors and respiratory therapists and anybody else that comes in contact with a coronavirus patient to keep them from getting infected. It's gowns, it's gloves, it's goggles, it's a couple different kinds of masks, and hospitals are running out. How close are they to running out? Oh, some hospitals are within days. And what's the risk if they do run out? That hospital workers will get sidelined, either because they're waiting to find out if they have COVID-19, which is the disease caused by the new coronavirus, or because they are sick. Doctors that I've talked to have also said, like, it is just like, this is what they do, but it is also sort of like, makes them very anxious. They are also worried about getting sick. And those worries are justified. Cases in the U.S. are growing. When you look at the trajectory of new cases, the U.S. seems not far behind Italy's path. Marcus Walker is based in Rome, and he's been covering the outbreak in Italy. This is scary. If it gets out of control, it can really overwhelm us. This is no flu. You know, for anyone listening who still thinks that this is just a bad flu, no, it is not. This week, Marcus visited Bergamo, a wealthy city near the epicenter of Italy's most devastating coronavirus outbreak. And I drove through this ghostly atmosphere in Lombardy, the region around Bergamo. I got to Bergamo, this very pretty provincial town with uh, a medieval citadel in uh, the core of its old town on the hills. Uh, It's in the foothills of the Alps, and you have these beautiful views of the Alps around, and nobody in sight, no cars. A really ghostly silence throughout the town. It felt like uh, a healthcare version of of Chernobyl. The whole town has, has been overwhelmed, it's deserted. It felt like the whole province was kind of radioactive. Bergamo is a province of about a million people, and it's seen its number of confirmed cases rise to over 4,000. That rise has overwhelmed the region's state-of-the-art hospital, which Marcus toured this week. I was basically dressed up like a surgeon who's about to perform an operation. Obviously a mask, heads, neck, gloves, full-body costume, shoe covers, the works. So what did the hospital wards look like? Improvised. So they've created whole sections for coronavirus patients, and they have something like 400 to 450 in there at the moment in a a 950-bed hospital. The parts that I saw were improvised wards in wings of the hospital that are normally disused but can be used for special circumstances. There were beds and gurneys throughout rooms, but also in corridors, and the whole thing had a, a bit of a makeshift feel to it. One of the doctors compared it to a military field hospital. Almost half the hospital is now coronavirus patients. As he toured the hospital, Marcus learned more about how things got so bad. He says that when cases started popping up in Bergamo a few weeks ago, 
The hospital was caught off guard. They simply dealt with these new virus infections as they would with any other illness that they are familiar with. So a person calls up and says they're feeling sick and they have breathing difficulties and the hospital dispatches an ambulance. And this hospital has a very big and efficient ambulance fleet also with helicopters and they can bring people to the hospital very fast. And so they brought them into the emergency room and uh, they were visited by family members who had no symptoms but who may have been carrying it. And the ambulance staff, they may have worn a mask, but they did not have full protective suits. They did not treat this from the very beginning as an extremely contagious virus that can contaminate ambulances, emergency rooms, hospital corridors. The contagion has simply spread throughout the whole hospital. Why did the hospital not have a plan in place for something like this? Because if we think back to uh, January, you know, the world was just waking up to the fact that there was uh, a major virus outbreak happening in China. And it really took until about the end of January and well into February until other countries in the West started doing anything about it. Italy was actually one of the first countries to take concrete steps. Italy banned all flights to and from China at the end of January. It was the first Western country to do that. Italy also declared a state of medical emergency on that date, 31st of January. But by that time, the virus was already in the country unnoticed. And when they started discovering cases, they realized that the confirmed infections that they found in February were the tip of an iceberg. It had probably already been raging for five or six weeks unnoticed. And it was only after they realized how explosive this was that they then had to try and react and play catch up. Those weeks of unnoticed spread added to the hospital's caseload. But it also got hospital staff sick. An ambulance dispatcher in his 40s died of COVID this past weekend. And three of the hospital's four top managers are homesick with the virus. More and more cases keep arriving at the doors of this hospital in Bergamo. And the equipment there is being stretched thin. The problem is the lack of intensive treatment for the number of severe cases. So everywhere I went, the patients were at least lying on a bed. But in many cases, they needed to be on a ventilator. Patients suffering from severe cases of COVID typically have major respiratory problems. So a ventilator is an essential tool. A proper ventilator will help pump oxygen into a patient's lungs. But the hospital in Bergamo doesn't have enough. They are trying to purchase ventilators wherever they can. But the problem is that so is everybody else in the world right now. They have expanded the intensive care unit at that hospital already in the last three weeks by about a quarter. But the suppliers and makers of ventilators cannot keep up. There is a run on intensive care equipment. So for many COVID patients at the hospital, doctors don't have the option to use ventilators. And instead, they rely on the next best thing. There is this, uh, this oxygen helmet. It looks like a transparent bucket that's placed over your head and goes all the way down to your neck. And then it closes at your neck where it is taped shut. And the bucket is attached with, with tubes to the oxygen supply. And so your whole head is sort of inside an oxygen tank. And then the third level down is a mask, which is attached to the oxygen supply. Like the things that fall out on the airplane? Uh, it, it looks a little more elaborate than that, yes. But somewhere between that and a gas mask. But many, many patients had only the mask. And the doctor said, ideally, 
a lot of the patients in that ward should be in the intensive care ward, but it's full. And the only way that beds free up in the ICU is if a patient recovers or dies. And when a bed becomes free, then we have to decide who gets it. And they decide on the basis of probability, who is most likely to survive. And in practice, it means that patients over 70 are not getting the next free ICU bed. That's going to younger patients. It's going to patients who may be, you know, age 60 and who have no comorbidity. You know, they, they don't also have other illnesses such as diabetes that make, uh, you know, survival less likely. With Bergamo's ICU beds full and COVID cases mounting, doctors have had to make more and more difficult decisions like this. In one instance, an elderly care home in a nearby town asked the hospital to admit some of its residents with COVID. The doctors had to tell this elderly care home the people there have to stay put. They cannot come to the hospital because they would not be able to intubate them. They cannot give them a ventilator. They would, you know, 85-year-old patients would not be among the ones to get the last free ventilators. And so they have to stay put. And they said that knowing that that probably means those people have to stay put and die where they are. These are devastating decisions in a first world country that is used to being able to give every individual the treatment that they need, because that is normally the case in a, a wealthy area like Bergamo. But on this occasion, they're having to write people off. What stands out most in your memory from your visit to the hospital? I think the exhaustion and fear in the faces of both patients and many of the medical staff. They have been working under these conditions for about three weeks now, and you could really tell that there is both uh, great, great tiredness and fear because there is a sense that this thing is out of control there. So these doctors who you spoke with, did they have any advice for the U.S. hospital system? Yes, plenty of it. The single most important piece of advice was to look at what's happening, study what's happening in Bergamo. The lesson of this is that other hospitals really need to prepare in advance of this wave hitting you. If you end up having to react and improvise uh, when it's already upon you, it's going to be too late. You have to prepare. Like Here is your expanded ICU unit. Here is the next ward you're going to be able to open up. Here are your backup staff when your doctors begin falling ill. Here are your supply plans for when you find you're using up your masks and your oxygen tanks. All of those things need a battle plan in advance. I think that was the main thing. Coming up, how hospitals in the U.S. are scrambling to avoid the same fate. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight. Live tomorrow. Shop now at Natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. 
Welcome back. As U.S. COVID cases mount, some hospitals are already running near capacity on beds and equipment. Hospital staff are frantically trying to avoid the disasters that have fallen on places like Bergamo. And reporter Melanie Evans has been looking at how these hospitals are quickly trying to prepare for a surge of COVID patients. Hospitals are trying to find more capacity right now. So earlier this week, we were talking to hospitals about the fact that they were canceling elective surgeries, putting off and postponing any operations that they could in order to free up hospital beds and doctors and nurses and equipment and the protective medical gear that they're running short on. As hospitals try to make room, they're also looking for places to set up additional temporary wards. This is something that Providence Health and Services, a hospital system in the Pacific Northwest, is focused on. They have a, like a real estate team, which is like fanned out across all of their markets, looking for empty lots where they can put up temporary medical tents that can sort of triage patients. They are desperately racing right now to get all of those things together so that if there are a flood of patients coming in, they have somewhere to put them. But as hospitals try to add more beds, they also need to plan for more staffing and more medical equipment. There is a strategic national stockpile of medical equipment that is being distributed nationally at the request of states. Washington state has already made two requests When I talk to hospitals there, they are struggling to get their hands on those sort of emergency supplies. They can't buy it. They can't buy it anywhere. There's a global demand for the equipment, and production has been hobbled by local outbreaks that have closed manufacturing plants temporarily. And one hospital I talked to just decided to start making supplies themselves. What? Yeah. Two of the executives at Providence were keeping very, very close tabs on how much supply they had. And it got to the point over the weekend that they knew they were about to run out. And they had been apparently just chatting about whether or not they could make it on their own. And so Monday, one of them got to work and she got some infection control experts together, and they figured out how to make a face shield. It's got to meet sort of like standards for workplace safety, federal workplace safety, and they kind of like took the dimensions and they figured out what are the most common supplies we could use to kind of put this together. And they went to craft stores and hardware stores and they bought up foam, elastic, and two-sided tape. One woman walked in to a craft store and she asked, like, how much clear vinyl do you have and can I buy all of it? They bought everything they could. And then Tuesday, they put out a request for help. Executives and managers from all over showed up for this, like, assembly line in a conference room. And they started putting the face shields together. What a scene. They're DIYing face masks because global production can't keep up with this virus. Exactly. Nurses in Massachusetts are on Facebook asking for supplies and what they're getting instead of, you know, the medical goggles, they're getting, you know, racquetball goggles. And they're like making a spreadsheet so that they can 
figure out what they've got. This week, the federal government has stepped up its response. The Pentagon offered to supply up to 5 million respirator masks to hospitals. The White House also asked any construction sites that use respirator masks to donate what they had and to stop buying more. And President Trump announced that naval ships with hospital beds are being sent to New York State and the West Coast to help shore up capacity. But even with all these preparations underway, doctors in the U.S. know that time is running thin, and they need to prepare themselves for the possibility that they will have to make some of the same devastating decisions as doctors in Italy. The doctors that I've talked to, what they've talked about is the trauma of having to triage patients, critically ill patients that they would normally be able to treat, but having to choose who gets the bed and who gets the ventilator because they don't have enough. And that is what doctors inside of hospitals have described for me, is just the impossibility of being the person that has to make that call. This is something that, you know, ethicists think about, but it is another thing entirely for the moment to arrive. That's all for today, Thursday, March 19th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like the show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We come out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.